If you would open your Bibles to Matthew, we're con- uh, continuing our our series there. And, and Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 17 and 18 today. And uh, have kind of a weird, quirky little story that serves as an introduction to another little section that Jesus is going to be teaching us about the, uh, the kingdom. And we call it this morning the humble kingdom. And uh, this morning, Jesus is helping us understand what life in the kingdom is like, how it works, um, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom, to be one of his followers, to be one of his people in this kingdom. And we learn that it's not its not like an ordinary kingdom. This is a humble kingdom. This is a different kind of kingdom. And like I said, it starts off with a strange story. Uh, and we'll just read this first part that's, that's the end of chapter 17. And then uh, we'll pray and ask the Lord to, to make sense of all this for us. So read with me in 17, starting in verse 24. It says, After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? So this is basically just a tax. The two drachma was like a type of coin. So they're saying, Doesn't your teacher pay this temple tax, this tax that we take so that we can maintain the temple and take care of things? And Peter just always has an answer, right? He always speaks first and thinks later. He says, Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? So Jesus is asking, where do the kings get their money? Do they take it from their own family or do they take it from the peasants? Right? Peter says in verse 26, from others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line and take the first fish you catch. Open its mouth and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Weird story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, we do trust that that you want to shape us with it. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us, that you would give us understanding, that your spirit would would come in and clarify things, and that we would get the main point of this section of Scripture and uh, how you were leading Matthew as he put these stories together, remembering who Jesus was and what he did with his disciples. Help us to learn from you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he had been on a long business trip. Um, he'd been traveling overseas, and he was exhausted, frustrated, tired, been through security already, been patted down, had to take his shoes off, had to take his belt off, had to you know, take everything metal out of his pockets, put it back in, take the laptop out of the bag. He'd already done this about five or six times, gone without sleep, and finally had arrived back home, and then the door wouldn't open. He finally gotten back home after all this, and he couldn't get the door open. He's banging on the door. He's banging on the door. He can't get it open. He's muttering things. Finally, he goes around to the back door, breaks into his own house, and then minutes later, the police arrive. The police arrive, and they've been called because it looks like the house is being burglarized because... Some neighbor that I guess doesn't know the man sees him trying to break into his own house and assumes it's a bad guy, calls the police. And the police come in and say, hey, you know, what's the deal? I need to see your identification. Um, and then you've got this conflict between two men, um, two men who have been disrespected, who, who are part of a class of people, both of them, who have been mistreated and treated with suspicion um, most of their life. 
And, and a lot of you may have heard the story already from the news, but there's this famous Harvard professor, Louis Gates, uh, that's an African-American professor and a white police officer in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Both men, like I said, are, are members of a class that are disrespected, that are not uh, treated with the rights that they should be treated with. We cannot deny that African-Americans have been abused and mistreated in our country's history in, in terrible ways. But we also can't deny that police officers every day are disrespected and mistreated and are in danger of their life at every moment, every call they go out on. And so you've got this conflict of two men who don't want to back down, two men that want to stand up for their rights, two men that feel like they're being disrespected. And I'm, I'm going to leave it to you and all the news commentators out there to decide how it should have gone down. But, but I want to apply uh, Jesus' principle to this for just a moment and, and, and say that, you know what? Both men could have backed down. Both men could have backed down. Now, I don't think uh, Jesus calls us to back down in every moment. There are times when we should stand up for our rights. There are times when we should execute justice, stand up for what's right. So I'm just going to let you deal with the messiness of that situation. But I will say that it's an illustration of how uh, we like to stand up for our own rights, especially when we've been disrespected, especially when we've been abused. And that's the situation that Jesus is in when they come to him asking for the temple tax. So now lift your minds out of, the, out of the emotional chaos of this story and take it over to Jesus. Jesus was being disrespected. He was not being treated as the son of the king, as the king himself, as the heir to the throne. Jesus said, Peter, who, who pays taxes? Is it the peasants or is it the sons of the king? And Peter says, it's, it's the others, it's the peasants, it's the outsiders. They're the ones that, that have to pay the taxes. They're the ones that have to bear the burdens. And Jesus is like, you're right. That's right. The, the sons of the king, and especially the king himself, they shouldn't have to pay the taxes. But Jesus humbles himself, and he says, but so that people won't be tripped up. Again, it's this word, scandalizo. It's this word that's going to appear now in, in every other sentence in the rest of this passage in the first few verses of, of chapter 18. This, this tripping up so that they won't be caused to sin, it says in the NIV and the ESV, so that they won't be made to sin or they won't be tripped up, so that they won't fall for their benefit, for their blessing, not for my respect, not because I'm going I'm to stand up for what I deserve, but for their blessing. I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to pay this tax that I shouldn't have to pay. And there's the weird, miraculous, go, go find a fish and there will be a gold coin in its mouth. And yeah, that's weird, but that's just Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus can do all kinds of miraculous things, and that's really not the point of the story. That's just kind of a drop in the bucket. That's just kind of gravy here in the story. Real, the point of the story is Jesus humbling himself and paying the tax that he shouldn't have to pay. When he's been disrespected, when he's not recognized, when he's not given the dignity that he should be given, he backs down. He humbles himself and he says, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and pay the tax. Go ahead and pay the tax, Peter. And, and then he starts teaching his disciples. Then he starts teaching his disciples about the nature of the kingdom. So he shows them that he's a humble king. And then he starts teaching them, okay, this is what the kingdom is like. You've just seen me act out that I'm a humble king. Now I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to preach to you and say, this is what the kingdom is like. Let's read chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. 
It says, At that time then, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You see, Jesus just turned things upside down. He, he's the king. He's the son of the king. He, he's, he's the one that's exempt from the, t- the taxes, right? But he pays them. And the disciples are all confused. And there may be some confusion still left over from the Transfiguration where Jesus took a special few and he, he kind of allowed them to enjoy this incredible uh, display of his glory. So, so that may be part of it too, but, but here, he, again, he's not, he's not demanding the respect that he deserves. He's not demanding the dignity he deserves. He goes ahead and he pays the, the tax. And so they're curious. They're not understanding how this all works together. And they say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, it says in verse 2, he called the little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you change and become like little children, like, like babies that have no dignity, that have no place, that have no status in society. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the first thing we see is Jesus starts to explain how the kingdom works to them as we see humble entry. Man, you can't even see the background, can you? Anyway, it's just the same picture of the old house. Um, There's a humble entry to the kingdom. The first thing that Jesus explains to them is you can't even get into the kingdom without humility. You don't even qualify. He goes further to say, then the greatest in the kingdom are those that are most humble, that are like these little children, that don't demand respect, that don't demand they be treated with dignity, that don't fight for their rights, but humble themselves and say, I don't, I don't deserve anything. I, I don't have a bunch of rights, really. I'm a, I'm a sinner. And, and I've done wrong, God. And, and really what I need is grace. Really what I need is mercy. Really what I need is forgiveness. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. You have to become like a little child. And he, he uses this great object lesson. I found a picture uh, online. If you're as old as me or older, you may remember this commercial. Uh, mean Joe Green, who actually went to school in, in Temple, Texas. Uh, mean Joe Green was known for being mean. There you go. Very good. Angel Green was known for being mean, so it's this great commercial, pulls the people's heartstrings, where you got this little kid that walks up to him, he's like, what do you want, kid? And he's kind of gruff and mean, and the kid offers him a Coke, and it kind of melts Mean Joe Green's mean heart, and he throws him his jersey. It's a great commercial. We all loved it. Um, and I think every child after that was bringing Cokes to every professional football player, probably, after every game, in hopes of getting a jersey. Uh, but you see in this commercial this contrast of the little kid, who means nothing, and the great professional athlete, the great man that had a reputation, had a record, that was famous, was achieved, that was powerful physically in the tiny little child. And that's the same kind of object lesson that Jesus is playing out for them. He grabs this little kid and he says, you guys are arguing over who's the greatest based on your rank and your status and how strong you are and how smart you are. You can't even get into the kingdom unless you're like this little kid. You can't even get in unless you humble yourself. And Jesus just brilliantly displays it for them. It's not about how big you are. It's not about how much you know. But it's about humbling yourself. It's not about claiming that you have status. It's not about claiming that you're important. But it's about admitting that you're not, that you're broken. And this, this was a huge theme, if you remember, in the Beatitudes. Where Jesus talked about how we have to know that we're needy. We have to recognize that we're spiritually poor. We have to hunger and thirst for righteousness if we want to be filled. And that is where you start if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom. 
So I know there are some of you here today that think maybe part of being in the kingdom of God is, is membership at a church or religious ritual or attendance or, or serving in some way. But Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom is the one that humbles himself. It's the one that comes empty-handed and says, I don't have anything to offer. And so I would, I would plead with you this morning, if you, if you come here thinking that you have something uh, to offer, if you have something to give us, I would plead with you to, to give that up and to recognize that, that you're empty-handed, that I'm empty-handed, that the only way we can even enter into the kingdom is, is by giving up on, on how great we are at our job, how good we are with people, how, how much money we have, what we've achieved, how clever we are, all, the, all those things, those lists of accomplishments that we shape our egos with. Jesus says you have to set those aside if you even want to be in the kingdom. That doesn't mean you, you quit your job and you give up, you know, you'll go burn everything. He's saying you don't enter the kingdom with those things. That's not how you get in. That's not how you enter the kingdom. Yes, God has given you gift and he's given you authority and he's given you privilege and status and things to use for his sake and for his glory, but that's, that's not what gets you in his kingdom. That's not how you, you enter. I want to challenge you guys this morning because I think if we really understand this, if we really see ourselves humbly as, as small, as little, as nothing, literally is, is what this means, is just kind of being nothing. If we see ourselves that way, that will radically transform what kind of church we have. That will transform how we treat other people. That will mean when other people uh, come into our lives or come into the doors physically of this church, we'll be free to, to welcome them no matter what situation they walk in with. Because you know, there's always sins that you're like, well, I may be a sinner, but I've never done that, right? I mean, you've all got your list. You've all got the things in your mind that you're like, yeah, I've done some bad things, and I guess I need Jesus, but I'm not like that guy. I mean, that guy's just bad. And you'd have this weird look when that guy walks in the church, or that girl, or that person. And Jesus challenges us to recognize that we're all humble, that we're all little, that we're all sinners, that we're all broken, that, that none of us come in with status. We don't come in with some scorecard. Yeah, I made it in with an, you know, with an 85. I passed. I just barely passed the test. No, we all get a zero. And Jesus is the one that brings us in. And when you recognize that, when you have that kind of humility about your own spiritual status before God, that enables you, that, that frees you up then to serve others, to welcome others, to be unshockable Christians. You know, so that when someone's confessing, you're not like, oh, whoa. I mean, I was going to pray for you, but now that I hear what you've just said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we can be friends. Um, that God wants you to recognize your own weakness, your own smallness before Him, knowing that Jesus is what gives you status. Jesus is who gives you forgiveness and mercy and grace and brings you into the kingdom. And when you recognize that, and that is forefront in your mind, like I said, we can be unshockable Christians. Not that, not that we're happy when people are sinning. I mean, we, we still want to have that, that sadness that someone's killing themselves with whatever, whatever sin they're struggling with. But not this kind of, you know, derogatory looking down on them, I would never do that kind of attitude. Knowing that, that we're all broken, that we're all sinners. That's, that's how you enter in, and that will transform what the kingdom looks like. And that, that brings us to the next one that I want to talk about is humble welcoming. That we would continue to be a welcoming place. That we would we would just continue welcoming people in Jesus' name. These those that are weak, those that are small, like the little child that Jesus just stood on his lap. It says in verse five through seven. 
Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Literally, this word is received. So whoever actively receives someone, a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, so he's defining the little child. He's not just talking about kids. We like to use this as a great children's ministry verse, right? Um, But he's kind of defining the, the metaphorical little one here. He's saying these kinds of little ones, the kinds of little ones, the ones who believe in Jesus and not in their own status. Okay, that, That's the definition of a little one now in this passage. The one who humbles himself and says, I'm like a little kid, I have nothing to offer. I'm going to believe in Jesus and trust that he's got everything to offer for me. So Jesus is saying, if you welcome those kinds of people, those little ones, those humble ones that have nothing to offer in my name, then you're welcoming me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, or literally again to stumble, to trip, to fall, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That sounds bad, doesn't it? A millstone, you know, it's like this giant grinding stone that they would, uh, you know, like a, a big animal would work its way around, going in circles, and it would grind up grain and mash it down. So it's, it's this giant stone, okay, this giant, giant heavy stone, like a ton or two. So he's saying it would be better to have that tied around your neck and be thrown into the deepest, darkest sea than to cause one of these little ones to sin. And it caused one of these little ones to trip up. Are you welcoming them? Are you receiving them in my name? Are you tripping them up? And again, this goes back to what kind of people are we going to be in his kingdom? Are we going to be the kind of people that sees ourselves as little ones and then welcomes little ones and receives them and says, yes, you, you just need Jesus. It's, it's not about these other issues. Are we going to put other issues on the plate? Are we going to say, no, you, you've got to stand this way and talk this way and you've got to come to these meetings and you've got to not go to those meetings and you've got to get up at this time and, and not get up at that time. You know, are we going to control every aspect of their life and tell them how to conform to our rules? Are we going to tell them, yeah, you're just like me. You have nothing to offer. Welcome. Come on in because of Jesus because of what he's done for us. Are we going to welcome people in Jesus' name? And I was thinking about the whole idea of uh, the welcoming sign. We see these all the time, right? Welcome home. You see the big banners outside because guys are always coming home from Iraq. Raise your hand, guys, if you've had a welcoming sign at home. Have you had a welcoming sign? Pretty cool, right? I mean, I've even had that, and I never went to Iraq. I mean, I've gone for, gone away for a few days, and my kids will put a welcoming sign on my door. Um, and those are great, aren't they? I mean, those are those are wonderful. Warms your heart that your kids do that. But what if your kids just put up the sign, but they didn't hug you and didn't really want to talk to you when you came back? You'd probably prefer to be fully received when you come home, right? You don't want just a sign. And I want to challenge us as a church because I think so often that's kind of what happens with churches. With churches, we kind of do things to be welcoming. We have programs to be welcoming. We have visitor cards. But are we actually receiving people? Are you actually warmly greeting people? And I really want to challenge you because, see, our church is only its not even three years old, right? Our church is not even three years old. And we live in a place where people move in and out pretty regularly, quite often. And so what could happen in a church like ours is a lot of you don't think it's your responsibility. You kind of think, well, well, I'm, I'm new here. That's the welcoming team's responsibility. It's not really my job to welcome people. 
the guys, pretty much everybody here is new, okay? You're, you're all new, and it's all of our responsibility by virtue of being in the kingdom. It's not about membership in the church or how many weeks you've attended, but it's about being children of the king. He says we should be welcoming each other. We should be receiving each other with open arms. That's just how we should carry ourselves, not just in this room, but everywhere we go, at the grocery store and in our neighborhood. We should be receiving each other. And I really want to challenge you. I mean, there's obviously practical ways you can do that. Just greeting each other, giving a hug, a how you doing, can I pray for you, what's going on in your life, having friends over into your house, taking time with your neighbors, not just to wave across the street, but actually talking to them sometimes, you know. Just little things like that, giving people the, the gift of, of unhurried time and the gift of yourself, receiving them into your life. I would challenge you to do that. And again, like I said, even specifically in this church, that we would recognize that that's all of our job. But that's just part of kingdom life, is that we would be a welcoming people, recognizing that we have nothing to offer. And it's only because of Jesus that we're even here. The next thing that we see is Jesus unfolds this this uh, sermon on kingdom life. Is there should be a humble life, an ongoing lifestyle, an ongoing way of living that should be uh, marked by humility. And we see this in verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. Oh, and I skipped verse 7. I'm sorry. It says, it says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. And that's just a further reiteration of what he was saying. Of, of, of Don't be someone that causes people to sin, but be someone who welcomes people in Jesus' name and in humility. The, the world is going to be full of things that cause people to sin, but do not be one of those things that causes people to fall. Be the one that welcomes people. And then in verse 8, he, he picks up what this looks like in our own life. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. He's, just, he's talking kind of rough here, right? This, doesn't, this is not like the normal, nice, friendly, happy all the time Jesus. I'm not sure what's going on. But, but he's warning us, I think, out of love. I mean, I think Jesus loves us, and, and we need to take two lessons here, I think. First of all is, is hell is real. And uh, I have to tell you, just as, as uh, a member of Generation X and, and a you know, 21st century American, that's hard for me to even say. But hell is real. And, and we have to face that, that there is, there is eternal torment apart from God. And God gives us that choice to, to be with Him or to be on our own. But, but the words that, that Jesus describes hell with are eternal fire and then the fire of hell or the fire of Gehenna. I had a picture here of, of a trash heap that's smoldering. Uh, and that's basically what Jesus used to describe hell. There's a trash heap outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna. And uh, dead bodies went there and trash went there and refuse and excrement and all kinds of horrific things. It's not a place you would want to be, right? And it just burned all the time. The fire never dies. It's always going. And it became a word picture. This wasn't just something that Jesus did, turning it into a word picture for hell. It already was a word picture for hell at that time. Jews already used it that way for, for an understanding of where the wicked went when they died. And Jesus took that up and said, yeah, 
that, that's what it's like to be apart from me forever. And, and I think we need to be careful here. Jesus is not saying that uh, if you ever sin, um, then you're going to hell. It's not a if you ever trip or if you ever fall, it's, it, you're going to hell. But it's if you continue to be bound by something and if you continue to look at God and say, I don't want you, but I want this, then, then those are the kinds of people that we would say are, are going to hell. Those people that reject God and say, I want to do my own thing. I'd rather have the pleasures of this world, and I don't want you, Jesus. Now again, if you're struggling with sin, and, and you don't want to do it, and then you trip into it, and you fall, but you continue to repent, and you go back to Jesus, that, that's a completely different thing. And I want to try to at least comfort those of you with tender consciences that are thinking, I just sinned last night, that's it, I'm burning. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to hell. And understand that... That being a Christian doesn't mean you never sin again. You'll still trip up. You'll still sin. But Jesus is saying you should have such a radical, humble attitude towards your own life that you're willing to give up those parts of your own life because you'd rather be with Jesus. You'd rather enjoy the, the rewards of heaven. You should take sin seriously. You should take it really seriously. You should be afraid of it. Does that mean that, that we're, we're going to be uh, saved by our works? That if we cut off all our body parts and never sin again, then, you know, then, then we're good and then we're in heaven? No, we're, we still enter the kingdom by humility, by Jesus, by what he does for us. So, so if your left hand sins, you cut it off. Your right hand sins, you cut it off. And you're like, oh, I can't sin with my hands anymore. That, still, that's not what gets you into heaven. Jesus is what gets you into heaven. Okay? His point in this, this exaggeration is to take sin seriously. Don't mess around with it. And I think a better way to translate it maybe into today's language is uh, some of us have gifts and resources and, and loves that we can enjoy for the glory of God. But for some of us, those cause us to sin. Those trip us up. They're, they're making us stumble, to use the language that he's talking about here. And if those things in your life are causing you to stumble, you need to take drastic action and cut them out of your life. I don't want to see a bunch of people coming in with bloody stumps next week. But I do hope, I do hope that some of you take this literally uh, seriously when it comes to the, the idols in your life. When it comes to what you're serving. But what are you serving? Some of you need to quit your job and get a different job. Some of you need to break off a friendship. Some of you need to quit a habit. Some of you need to unplug your computer. And those things are drastic. Society says, well, that's weird. You shouldn't, you, know, you shouldn't take drastic action for sin. You should just kind of roll along with your normal life. No, some of you need to take drastic action. Again, don't cut off a body part, but cut that thing out of your life. Cut that thing out of your life. Take drastic action. You don't, you don't need to keep it there in your life if it keeps tripping you up, if it keeps causing you to sin. And again, we talk a lot about Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is, is focused on helping people work through those acute sins that they continue to struggle with. Um, but, but even if you don't feel like it's acute enough to go to Celebrate Recovery or if you're not comfortable going to that environment, grab, grab a brother or a sister or, or talk to me or grab someone and, and talk through this with them. And say, I continue to struggle with this and, and we'll, we'll help you cut it out of your life. 
hopefully it won't be too painful. But, but there will be brothers and sisters here that, that will want to walk with you through that. That's the Christian life, that we would bear each other's burdens, that we would lean on each other in that process. But if you need to change jobs, change jobs. If you need to move, move. If you need to do something different, do something different. Because it's real. It's, it's doing real damage in your life. Well, the conclusion of this whole section that Jesus is talking about is at the end of the... starting in verse 10. It's in verse 10 through 14. And he says, See that you don't look down on one of these little ones. I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. He's saying, do not establish a culture in your community of disciples, among your people, among your church, where you look down on those with humility and you lift up those with pride. Do not establish that kind of culture. Don't look down on these little ones. Don't look over those who seem insignificant and and lift up those who maybe are wealthy or maybe are influential or maybe are powerful. Don't lift those people up because of their experience or because of their brains or because of their smarts. But focus on the little ones. Focus on those who are humble. And be humble yourself. That's the kind of culture that we have to have here if we're going to survive, honestly. And Jesus warns, he says, For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. This is another kind of strange verse, just the way it's worded, because it sounds kind of like there's like a little angel on their shoulder following them around. And some people get like the whole theology of guardian angels, that we all have an angel looking out for us. And I, I, don't, I don't know. This is the only verse that really gives something that specific here. I think the basic concept is that God's going to know about it. That there are angels that are watching out for the humble ones in this world. There are angels that are watching out for those that nobody else is watching out for. And they're talking to God. They're before the face of God. He's saying, don't think you can get away with it. Don't think you can mistreat little ones. Don't think you can mistreat the humble. Mistreat those who are meek and get away with it. You're not going to get away with it. Lift those up. Honor those who are humble. Establish a culture where everyone knows that we're all humble and that's how we get into the kingdom. And he articulates this more in verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now in Luke, uh, this is part of an extended section where Jesus is challenging the Pharisees and helping them to understand God's care for, for the broken, for the humble, for the needy. And it's not about those who think they've got it all together, but it's about those who recognize their lostness and their need of Jesus, their need of God. And here really it's, it's kind of the same thing. This one's focused more internally on the community in this section. This, this, lost, this lost sheep story in, in this section in Matthew is a little more focused on community life, whereas the one in Luke is a little more focused on the outsiders and, and the religious leaders, the Jews, and helping them understand their lostness. But but really, it's the same principle. And and that principle, again, is that we're nothing on our own. 
and that we need Jesus to find us and to fix us and to bring us back and that God rejoices in that that God actually is the kind of God that rejoices in going to find that lost sheep and the 99 are fine and he leaves them and he's so happy to find the one that had wandered off that that's how God thinks Jesus says, don't think you can get away with overlooking the little ones. And just to make sure you get it, God's like a shepherd. And even if it's just one sheep that's lost, he's going to go after that one lost, broken, wandering sheep. And that's what we should be like. That's the kind of life that he wants us to establish here at Grace Bible Church and in his church at large, universal, throughout the world that we would be a people that care for the little ones, that we would be a people that recognize that we are the little ones. Because only when we recognize that we're little does that free us up to actually welcome and love and seek out and save the lost. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. That when we were lost, when we were wandering away, you came after us. You didn't just leave us wandering, but but you pursued us. You came after us and you brought us back to yourself. And you rejoiced to find us. Father, I know there's some here this morning that have been wandering, that have been stumbling, who who feel like they've got things uh, that that are too too bad for you to forgive. Feel like that they've got problems that will prevent them from being accepted uh, into this community or any others. Lord, I pray that you would free their hearts this morning to recognize that that's all of us. That that's all of us. That we all are broken. That we are all humble. And we can't even get into the kingdom by any status of our own. But it's because of you, because of what you've done, that you died in our place. You lived the perfect life that we couldn't live when you were here on earth. And you died a death that you did not deserve, but that we do deserve. And you, you took our sin upon you. Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And I pray for those hearts this morning that have been bound up by their sin, that have been continuing to trip over communities that, that say you've got to be great to enter the kingdom of heaven. I pray that for the first time this morning they, they get that you don't have to be great. And as a matter of fact, you can't even get in if you're great. I pray that you'd break their hearts. I pray that they would confess you this morning, that they would see that you are the God that welcomes them, the God that welcomes the humble. If you're one of those people, please come and talk to me after the service this morning. We're going to continue to sing one more time. Father, thank you for the chance to worship, and I pray that you would allow us to worship you in spirit and truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.